Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Joining us this week is Liam Esler, a biz dev specialist, speaker and narrative designer from Melbourne, Australia. Liam has a wealth of experience in the gaming industry and he's joining us to speak about innovation this week in games and across various industries. It's a fascinating conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. I'm your host this week, Ian Laking, and with me uh, for the third time in a row <laughs> is uh, my wonderful co-host, uh, Diane Sheldon-Collins. How Hi. are you, Diane? Uh, not good. I have a cold. I was wow. hoping that I would have a nice husky voice Ooh. for this podcast, but I think I'm at the <laughs> clogged nose stage, so yep. I'm just very nasal, but fortunately my dulcet tones are lovely, however. so Of course, I would never dispute that, and I, I also <laughs> have a bit of a, um, a cold going on, so we'll be um, na- nasal buddies that does not <laughs> wow i don't even know what that means that went places fast yeah, it doesn't work at all it's um downhill from here geez yeah that's right uh so well, from that i'll segue into welcoming our guest today uh liam Isler. hi liam how are you hi i am uh extremely jet-lagged having just got back from la yesterday wow uh yeah so i think that we're all in a similar yeah. boat here which is great so. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, we're going to call this one, quotation marks for those uh, listening at home, the fun podcast, because <laughs> <laughs> we're, ready, we're ready to rock it um, today. All we need is some whiskey. Yeah. I know. Actually, yeah, it's a pity that the whites, the water we have is not vodka. We're, <laughs> we're, going, we're going dry this week, but it's going to be good. Um, so welcome, Liam. Um, you're having a good Thank week you. then? Uh, so far, yeah. I just got back from uh, E3, which is one of the yeah. biggest gaming events of the year in LA which was wild because I haven't been in five years. So right. it's changed a lot in that time. Yeah. I mean, is it is that changed for the better? I mean, I haven't actually talked to someone. I mean, this shows how, how much I'm in the industry. <laughs> I haven't talked to someone who's, who's been to E3 twice, let alone. So, I mean, what's, what's the biggest thing that you noticed was different when you went back? Uh, E3 primarily used to be for uh, the industry and for yeah. uh, press. So it was, a, it was a time that you promoted your game to the yeah. media. Uh, and over the past five years, that has very much changed. It's become a consumer show. So right, a lot of the yeah. industry-focused and press-focused stuff has kind of moved a little bit, as particularly uh, with the de- decentralization of games PR, which has been really interesting. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it was just really different. D- does that mean they've got social media gaming influences there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Lots of streamers, lots of Instagram. That's lots how of... you'll break into the industry. And... Streaming. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is the, ooh, not you a know, thing you want to do. I'll get, I'll get my crop top on. I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, streaming is something that I've never quite... I mean, I'm showing my age here. I, I you know, the first video game I really got hooked on was probably either Commander Keen. Oh, or Wolf 3D. Hands up for, for Commander Keen, which <laughs> yeah. is getting a remake. Oh, really? Just got announced, yeah. yeah I'm keen for... Th- I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> the jokes aren't getting it any really better. is going down. I know. <laughs> wow. I'd say that it was about my low bar, really. Um, yeah, so it was either Commander Keen or um, yeah, Wolfenstein or... Uh, I'm oh, to Wolfenstein. Think. I played Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. He looks so shocked. It's very no, off no. brand for me. <laughs> That's terrible. How <laughs> awful am I looking shocked at that? So you played Wolf back in the day? Yeah, it was... Um, I've got a brother who's eight years older than me, so mm-hmm. I kind of played a lot of his games that he cool, got really yeah. into and if I wasn't playing them I was watching him play them yep. which seems really weird in hindsight but when you're like mm-hmm. nine years old just like sitting next to your brother at the one yeah. family PC watching him play like Diablo 2 um, like that <laughs> that's kind of an iconic 90s childhood look I'm, I'm 28 and I watch yeah. my partner play games all the time yep. because <laughs> I have no time to play video yeah. games right so. so you just don't have to get invested you can just enjoy the yeah, kind I of can just like I can just drop into him playing Elder Scrolls Online and it's, uh, it's great yeah I, like it's, it. I just want to pause here for a second and say, you know, Liam, being in the gaming industry and so, like so knowledgeable about this, and Diane, we we're talking before, and she's like, ah, oh, you know, and you've already dropped like several big name <laughs> games you're deeply familiar with. <laughs> So you, this is absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah, before this, Ian was like, so, Dion, are you comfortable talking about gaming? I don't know if this is something you're interested in. And I was like, oh, I have a bit of a theoretical knowledge, but I'll mostly be listening. You know, for once, I won't be monologuing. Yep. And now I've pop, just... Pop, 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 Wolf yeah. 3D. <laughs> Diablo, yep. Sims. Bam. Perfect. That's, that's all, what we yeah. like. You're all there, so that's good. I Look... It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Maybe what was like the the highlight? Do you think for you, Liam? At if you can think of a highlight, or or just something that was interesting, unexpected at E3 this time. It was a weird year for E3 because mm. we're the next generation of consoles are right on the horizon, yep. and so I think that a lot of people who are working on the more interesting titles at the moment yeah. haven't announced them. So there were a lot of titles yep. that we've kind of seen before. Uh, so that was that was it was just interesting to see. There's not a lot going on. Yeah, uh, right. there were there were a few things. Uh, mm-hmm. So 
Uh, one game that I'd like to point out is Control, which uh, Brooke Mags, who yes. uh, was on this podcast, I think last year. Yeah, if she was last year. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so she she's one of the writers of Control, Amazing. and uh, Control had a really great year at E3. Mm. Um, the Outer Worlds from Obsidian, which is a sci-fi RPG. I used to work there, so yes. yep. uh, it was really cool to catch up with them and see how the game's coming along, and it yeah. looks incredible. Uh, I'm very excited. There wasn't a lot at E3 about this, but I did keep hearing people talk about Erica, mm. which is a live-action game that Sony's doing. It's oh, like an adventure game, and it, it looks really incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, like, very pertinent on a writing podcast. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's very much trying to take a... Uh, traditional cinematic approach like how do we how do we fuse cinema and video games kind of yeah. like bandersnatch did on yes. on netflix except you know good yeah um <laughs> wow <laughs> there we go that's another podcast right yeah. now <laughs> what else yeah, wow. interesting um that's cool way to the woods mm. which was is a, a game about a little family of deer yeah uh was announced properly uh and it's by a 20 year old melbourne guy called anthony tan oh, uh, and it's being uh composed by uh ivy and surashu who did all of the music for steven universe oh, wow. um Ooh. so i'm really excited about that because it yeah. looks like a really cute adventure game that's very extremely wholesome and i am yep. all about that the wholesome game absolutely yep. well, i mean we've had like we've gone to really dark places with games uh when you come to like i mean i love my gritty gritty titles for games so something wholesome is yeah you know always appreciated um well that's really good i feel like our contributions to the media section <laughs> are somewhat less like a bit more traditional maybe i'll go for one thing that i did see then uh moving on was that i, I watched coco um last week which i had been meaning to do for quite a while and i thoroughly enjoyed it except that uh my wife did pick the twist in the story like and i was just like what ah <laughs> and she's like out loud i was like nuts so i think it's payback for all the Coco times nuts, that I've, sorry I've, yeah, yeah. Oh. sorry go on you can oh, edit that out Very if good. you think too. i totally no it was it was so that was good it was really good i i love anything pixar does and um that was this was no exception um thoroughly enjoyed uh, and i also uh, wrapped up watching chernobyl which has been great. Very different guys, vibe. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it. I didn't realise what, what a massive, like, it's not even a sleeper hit. It's just like everyone was craving something with Game of Thrones ending and Chernobyl just fitted right in. And I've seen all these memes come out of it. I didn't even think there would be memes from it, but just lots of things. I was like, okay, cool. Um, yeah, highly recommend. Great script, great cast. Um, seriously scary story um which of course is real life and really and severely depressing of course yes yeah. so, absolutely you know, game of thrones in a little bit upbeat <laughs> yeah. so they just decided to bring us right down yeah. to earth again you want grimdark we'll give you real life grimdark yeah that's right it's been interesting too so i haven't seen chernobyl yet um but i you know i've seen a lot of talk on mm. and stills from it online um and it looks amazing and i've heard that the show itself is really good but the fandom that has developed out of it is um interesting oh really uh Ooh. yeah being like, from video games i deeply yeah. understand yeah yeah <laughs> like i mean it all it always happens this is why we can't have nice things <laughs> right like there's always just the fandom takes it too far mm. but um yeah like there are social media influencers who are going to mm. chernobyl yeah. and like taking pictures of themselves like half naked in like these high radiation zones for like for the cool look and it's like you you realize that that's really dangerous right yeah. and also just really deeply insensitive to all the people that this is like living memory for yeah mm. um but the show itself i've heard is amazing and it's not the show's mm. fault that people have to go to weird places with this. <laughs> I mean, why why do people have to do that? Like my my first reaction to watching Chernobyl is, I'm going to go get my ass out over in uh, in <laughs> Pripyat. You know, I'm going to go do that. It's deeply relatable, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, it's mostly what people think. But like, it just it, yeah, that surprised me. When I saw that post on Reddit, I was like, of course. Like, I, I won't say I was surprised, mm. but. I was, I guess I was hoping for more, like in terms of the scripting as well, great scripting. So what I also like is the fact that it's long form, well not long, long form, but long form storytelling, five or six episodes, whatever it is, and then just done great, just a great show. So um, yeah, that was my highly recommended. Um, Diane, anything you want to add in the media? <laughs> um, I'm still in a, a bit of a podcast mood at oh. the moment. So I've been uh, listening a bit more than reading lately. Yeah. Um, books, I still love you. I've just... <laughs> 
just in a podcast mood. Yeah. So I'm still working my way through uh, the Magnus Archives, which is a uh, horror fantasy podcast uh, mystery as well that I'm. Yeah. I was listening to last time as well. Uh, there are 150 episodes, so there's quite a bit wow, to work yeah. through. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, and I've also just started listening to. Um, I think it's a BBC production from a few years ago called Wooden Overcoats, okay. uh, which is uh, it's a comedy which you wouldn't necessarily think from the premise, which is yeah. um, that there are these two uh, rival funeral homes in a small English village right. who basically set up in competition to each other and are sort of like trying to get all the best funerals in town and that sort of thing. Okay. It sounds like a really morbid humour and it does have some kind of morbid jokes in it, but it's 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 a comedy and very much kind of that like British style of humour. Yeah. Um, and just very well put together. The voice acting is incredible. Um, and I'm really enjoying it because I, I think I may have mentioned last time I love the idea of audiobooks, but I often can't listen to them myself because I'm a very mm. visual person. So I find it hard to concentrate when someone is reading to me or expositing. Right. Um, but I've, I really enjoy audio dramas or podcasts that are sort of taking like this mm. uh, found narrative approach um, because yep. it's almost like I'm just having someone chatting to me and I can like I don't have to be tuned in all the time in the same way yeah um, so yeah it's I'm finding I really enjoy listening to audio dramas oh well, that's great that's what? really cool yeah. yeah I mean it's it's an interesting and I think this this will be a nice segue soon so it is an interesting uh, it's interesting to see the different forms of storytelling coming back mm. especially in podcasts so mm. that's fascinating I have to ask Liam do you have apart from like there's a lot of e3 stuff and that obviously yeah. has well, been your e- focus but e3 is also not really media I've consumed right, oh, right. So is there anything that you, you want to add recently you've seen or that's kind of stuck uh, in your mind? Completely unrelated to either games or books. <laughs> Go um, on. I went to a musical when oh. I was in LA, oh, uh, a production of The Last Five Years. Okay. Uh, yep. By, I think it was After Hours uh, Music, uh, After Hours Theatre Company, and it's yep. starring a friend of mine, Scott Porter yep. and Janelle Parrish. Um, and it's a really, really fascinating musical about a relationship and the two characters tell the story from different ends of the relationship oh wow so um they're having scenes and one is at the beginning of the relationship and one is the at the end of the relationship oh. and they move backwards and forwards through time okay. until they meet at the wedding in the middle um, and so then it's continue it's, it's a it's non-linear kind of yeah out of the that's yeah. cool um and it was just beautifully done um yep uh scott and janelle did an incredible job with the the vocals and performance and uh, mm. it was it was really lovely to sort of I don't get to see a lot of theatre, so it was really lovely to jump in and see something really different with a really different narrative premise that I've never seen in a musical before. And and I'm imagining it works really well. Oh, yeah. I've heard of the... Yes. I just didn't realise that was how the... Yeah, Yeah, I had no idea because I I intentionally... Scott's was sort of like, hey, you want to come to to my show? And, uh, you know, Scott's pretty amazing. He was on uh, Friday Night Lights Mm. and Charmed and a bunch of other shows. And so I was like, hell yeah, I'll absolutely come to your show, my friend. (laughs) And went, but I didn't expect uh, to be blown away as much as I was, especially by just the way that it was done. So that's great. Theatre is really, it's a bit like podcasts. That seems like a strange connection to make, but in that same way that it's, it can really push the boundaries of what you can actually do with storytelling. Like, because it Mm. is, it's a story, but it's also a medium. And when people are using that medium to do things that they just, they couldn't do with, the story on the page or even on the screen Um, and particularly something like live theatre because you are actually sharing that space with the audience and can do such interesting things with that even if it's not sort of you know interactive just the shared space gives a very different vibe so Mm. I really like to see theatre that's doing experimental things like that. This was really interesting as well because it was a circular stage and so the audience was seated around the stage and it also I learned later I was talking to the director and the producer it had 3D surround sound and so when uh, someone was on your side of the room, you would hear their voice wow. actually singing. Yeah. And if they were on the other side of the room, you would hear them projected through the speakers. And so it actually accounted for where they were in the room. It oh was my God. like, and yeah, I, wow. I didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, but in retrospect, incredible work. That's it was, amazing. Yeah. And which is, yeah, something that I never expected to, to see in theater. That's almost a games technique. Technology, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. To see that being used in theatre was really cool and exciting and unexpected. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I like, uh, I really love old school theatre kind of um, 
tech and moves mm. like you know things that you don't necessarily guess um we did see a, co- a production of company which is a a classic uh well i want to say sondheim hope i get that right yep, you, um, you are correct oh, thank heavens <laughs> right so a uh, classic sondheim piece we saw that um on the west end uh, when we were there on, uh, over christmas and it yep. was amazing what they did with the set and like moving between different spots um, and they changed the lead from male to female because it was uh uh you know worked much better for the modern uh, storytelling <laughs> it was kind of like yeah whatever anyway that's a whole other thing um <laughs> But they, the way they did the actual moving of the set around and they moved between um, scenes was basically in boxes and they just did it so well. Oh, that's um, yeah, and, and it, it kind of took you along with it. It's, it was a series of, it was interesting, I read about it afterwards and it kind of made sense to me because it didn't quite work in my mind. And the reason is it's a series of miniature scenes all pieced together as one story. Yeah. So yeah. actually all, the, all of them were originally, you know, five minute plays or whatever and they brought them all together and they worked so well. And like, yeah, it was an incredible uh, story. I do love when stories get innovative see, see I just <laughs> amazingly done she had a great uh, grin because I'd like to move us on to um, our topic uh, for this week and we've got we've got a lot of time to discuss this so we'll get right in um, having having Liam with us who's got so much uh, a wealth of experience in the gaming industry I wanted to talk about uh, innovation and storytelling um, particularly in gaming but we'll also look at other areas too because it feels to me like games have come, like so many things, a long way uh, from when I was a kid. When, when I got introduced to a lot of things myself, you know, I found myself looking at, um, I think about the kidnapping of the princess would be the, the key kind of thing <laughs> I think of. I think of um, Mario and Double Dragon yep. and, uh, oh, there's quite a lot of these. I thought of a third one when like I was... Like the really, really old school, like yeah. 70s, 80s. That's it, yeah. Like that was just it, you know, go save the girl. That's yeah, where we started yeah. with storytelling and you beat a whole lot of dudes up until you met the big dude and then you rescued the girl. It's responsible for a lot in hindsight. Yeah, I know, I know. It was a whole thing. So that was where we I'm aggressively of... clutching at my collar here. That's <laughs> <laughs> where we kind of began. But, man, we've, we've come a long, long way, folks. So I wanted to just chat about some of that and also to talk about in, in wider literature and, and storytelling, mm. what are some of the things we think we've seen change in our lifetimes? Um, so, Liam, kind of how, how long have you been involved with the gaming industry for, I suppose, as a start? So, uh... Spring that on you sorry <laughs> yeah i've so i've been uh making games for about a decade yeah right and i've been working in the industry for about seven years Ooh. Uh, and so i started at a company called beamdog yep. uh, where i worked on boulder's gate and hand station boulder's gate is one of the big rpgs that people love and so i got the mm. uh, opportunity to work on that as well as boulder's gate 2 and yep. a bunch of other infinity engine titles and then i worked briefly at obsidian on pillars of eternity another yep. old school rpg yep. um came back to australia worked at uh uh, indie publisher, yeah. which was a really fascinating experience, uh, mm-hmm. and then started to do a lot of freelance writing for games and, right. uh, and production as well. Can I ask as well, just as kind of a lead-in, uh, do, do you um, did you always kind of mean to be a writer? Is it something you've done, or did you see a path to writing for games at all? I Before I got into games, I really wanted to be in theatre. Right, um, okay. So I was doing acting, yeah. uh, and... I was modding games, so making modifications for games in as a as a kid, yeah. and a lot of what I did was narrative driven. Uh, so I do a lot of writing, uh, and I never really considered that it could be a career. Uh, yeah. And so I got into games doing uh, QA and programming, right? And then eventually realized that I could probably do a better job of certain aspects than some of the team that I was working with and bullied my way yeah. <laughs> into uh, letting them let me try things. Yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think the first thing was I helped write the romances in Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition, the new ones that we were adding. Yep. And they were like, oh, he's like semi-decent. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they kept asking me and letting me write stuff. So over time, I yeah. yeah, I just sort of fell into it. And I was doing production, which is project management games, at the same time because I was deeply unhappy with how we were doing that. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been doing both of those ever since. Um, can I ask then, so coming from theatre, that's like, it's a, it's a it kind of in my mind, it's a big swing, but maybe you could tell us a little bit, what are some of the challenges that you face in like unique to gaming, do you think, in terms of writing story? Because when I think of games, I think of like the, you've got to have a game that's enjoyable to play uh, yeah. as well as having a great story. So I guess what are some of the challenges that are kind of unique to the sphere? Well, 
It's it's almost a difficult question to answer because games mm. aren't a monolith. So like yeah. when you at the beginning of this when you mentioned that um you know we've come a long way in games. It's funny because some of the earliest games like are like The Dig, which yep. is a Steven Spielberg mm. masterpiece adventure game with incredible right. writing yep. and a really really intricate interesting sci-fi plot. Yeah. Um and that was in like the 80s. Yeah. yeah. And so that is as an adventure game has mm. specific challenges in regards to like how do we make text fun yeah yeah uh and then yeah as we have as we've moved along we've begun to sort of integrate gameplay and narrative mm. more and more and more yeah and now in 2019 we have a, mm. a bajillion genres <laughs> yep um and lots of different ways of integrating story into gameplay or them being the same thing which right. i think is something that we're seeing more and more and more yeah um one game that sort of typifies that in a really beautiful way is actually by uh Brooke Maggs was one of the writers on it, uh, yeah. The Gardens Between, which mm-hmm. just won an Apple Design Award yep. because of how it integrates gameplay and narrative in right. a stunning way. But doing that right is really, really mm. difficult. Um, as a writer in games, let me actually, I should take a step back and yep. define what a writer in games mm. does because Please. a writer in games, there's, there's writing in games and then there's narrative design. Right. So narrative design is more about the structural elements that compose the writing. Yep. So uh, it's kind of like outlining if you're writing a book. So yep. it's, you know, sorting out your plot, sorting out all that kind of stuff. But when, when it comes to games, you're also beginning to bring in, like, your design and your art and your environments and your mm. your audio. As a, as a someone working on narrative in games, there are so many different aspects that have to come together to create a cohesive yep. um, piece of fiction. Um, an, an experience um, and that is an incredibly challenging thing because it's not mm. just putting text to page you're not the only one with control over it it's actually this incredible collaborative effort yep. so when you're a, a, a quote unquote writer in games mm. too um, a, like a writer is someone who writes text so yep. that's more someone like someone who just writes dialogue there right. are people there are people at Ubisoft on yep. the Assassin's Creed franchise their entire job is to write this, the, the conversations you hear within a specific city. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is an entire job and yeah. that, that is all they do. They just write the, the little snippets of conversation you hear in cities. Yeah. Um, that's a writer. Yeah. And then you have narrative design, which is like the structural elements. And then you have lots of roles that kind of mingle in between those areas. Mm. Uh, so writing for games is hard. In other words, like it's, yeah. it's a really, really complicated area where with, with lots of stuff to explore. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yes, please. <laughs> um, in terms of, so this is just a very basic question about the process that's involved. Mm. Um, in being the person who's uh, working with text, are you also consulting on things like storyboards or uh, engaging with anyone on the visual side or is that often kept quite compartmentalised? It's very different for every yeah. game that I've worked on and yeah. that I know about. Yeah. So mm. uh, let's... I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, the Last of Us. Yeah. Yep. Naughty Dog game. Very, very popular. Um, I think that the the writing team, it starts with the writing team yeah. there. Mm. Um, and yeah. then it, and because they're the creative, the, the, the chief creatives. And so it kind of drills down into art. And so they're the, they're the pinnacle of the pyramid mm. um, a, along with the design team. But for uh, a much more gameplay driven game, story is often the last thing that mm. gets added in. Yeah. Um, I've worked on mostly mobile games where the game was done. Yeah. Like, right. and, and they're like, <laughs> now make it interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like add, add something to keep players engaged, which yep. is like the most difficult thing you can possibly imagine. Cause suddenly you're having to retrofit yeah. all of these puzzle pieces into something that's interesting and engaging. But, um, mm. so you really, it really does run the gamut. Um, my ideal is that, <laughs> narrative and stories involved right from the beginning because yeah. in an ideal world it is a, a game is a collaborative process yeah. between lots of different departments you want to be talking to the composer you want to yeah. be talking to the environment artist yeah. so that you can help to work in elements of your story and the art in the way yeah, you explore yeah. the world and mm. you want to be talking to designers so that the layout of the world best represents the story that you're trying to tell yeah. so it is a very, it can be a very communicative and yeah. collaborative role. 
but it can also be the thing that gets done in the last 15 minutes before the game checks. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I have to say one thing about ret- retrofitting narrative, which I quite enjoy. Uh, one of my favorite games, uh, which is completely broken, um, is Pirates of the Caribbean. It was meant to be a remake of Sid Meier's Pirates mm-hmm. and, like really, and really beautiful. They did a lot of work on this. I played it on the Xbox 360 years ago, but A, it was kind of broken because they got to a certain point they're like, oh, Pirates of the Caribbean is popular. Let's just make this game Pirates... <laughs> Of the Caribbean. <laughs> so they added the Black Pearl as like the right. final boss and what? this very vague stuff that like it was so loosely thick. and yeah. you're playing and you're like, this doesn't feel quite right. So just to be clear, this wasn't an official tie-in. No, it was. Oh it was. It was but they just they just threw yeah. that in because of the popularity of the And last to get minute. it out quickly, they just shipped it broken. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> man, it was rough. By broken I mean you arrived on a beach and you would wait there for five minutes stalled while someone ran from the nearest town to meet you. So that <laughs> That game was broken. <laughs> I would go get a sandwich. Incredible. Yeah, or yeah. Maybe it was all part of the suspense building of the exactly. narrative. Exactly. Yes, of <laughs> course. It was really about conveying a sense of isolation and yeah. frustration yeah. at circumstances. That's you know? exactly yeah. it. it was I get that close. in everyday life, and I wanted my games as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when I want to recreate it, I go stand out on the street for five minutes. <laughs> exactly. It's surprisingly true to life. And eventually, someone comes along and talks to me. Are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Sometimes I feel like an NPC just standing there waiting for someone. Waiting to, to talk give someone to me. a side quest. Yeah. Speaking of which, they do. There is actually, I mean, this is completely off topic, but there, I do understand is that Ryan Reynolds is doing a movie where he discovers he's an NPC. And oh, a, yeah, uh, it looks really good. That sounds extremely Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Yep, <laughs> it does, right? Very Ryan Reynolds. So. I think it's got a couple of big names in it. Yeah. But I just saw like the basic synopsis. I didn't see any other info about it, but yep. I just I looked at it and I was like, that has the potential to be amazing. And mm. you're just like, please don't screw it. Please let yeah. it be good. <laughs> I mean, he's a bank teller, I think, and discovers he's an NPC yeah. in a game. So I'm looking forward to whatever that is. Um, Anyway, bring us back to to the narrative. So I'm thinking about some of the games that I've enjoyed over the years. um, And, like, for me, I feel like um, I started... I've always been an RPG fan. So I I started playing text, uh, text online stuff. So one of the original games that I played was uh, Legend of the Red Dragon. It was an online multiplayer game Mm -hmm. uh, that you kind of collaborated together and uh, walked through a forest, etc. And actually, text games, surprisingly... Uh, you know, you think about, oh, how could text work? But I, I always found them quite engrossing. And there's been, yeah. you know, some amazing text games that have come out over the years since then, since it was kind of at its zenith. Um, and I've enjoyed a lot of games as well along the, along the years, uh, which have got very out there, like Return to Zork, or um, I'm trying to think what else, Mist maybe. You know, yep. there are some yeah. real, really along the, along the way, lots of RPGs that have gone all over the place. But for me... Uh, where I've come down to my favourite kind of titles have been stuff like Final Fantasy, um, which right. is, you know, that's, that's my kind of home. I've talked about it a lot. Uh, things Big like. overwrought. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese. Absolutely. Yep. I draw the line when it gets to Metal Gear Solid um, in terms of how overwrought it can be. That's ginormous. <laughs> well, you know, Kojima-san is... A yeah. whole world unto himself, so yeah. as, as demonstrated by uh, Death Stranding. I know. I have. I haven't even gone there with Death Stranding. I'm like, okay, this is happening. Like, I got halfway through Metal Gear Solid Five, and I was like, oh, I'm at the end of the story. Oh, there's half the story to go. I'm yep. like, this has been great. I'm going to move on, but it's been fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, so I guess for me, the, the thing that I love is when a story kind of grips me. And I've mm. found that as I've got older, I haven't come back to games. I've found it hard to come back to games that don't have a story which grips me. Um, I'd like to know, Liam, for you, what are some stories that kind of stick out in your mind that really have grabbed you over the years? I definitely have a few. Yeah, uh, Baldur's Gate 2, which is, is still, yeah. to this day, my favourite game, and I feel mm-hmm. so lucky that I got to work on it. Yeah. Um, the the story of the villain, Arenicus, uh, yeah. was just a really fascinating one and really dealt with the nature of, you know, what is a soul mm. and, you know, what is, what are we as people and what do we owe each other. Yeah. Uh, I, I particularly love stories of identity. Um, yep. And so a lot of what I write kind of drills in that direction. And a lot of the stories that I really enjoy sort of are like that as well. My yep. favorite JRPG is a game called Golden Sun. Okay. Um, which is, has some really bizarre story elements, but um, yep. is ultimately a story about like a, a group of teens coming together and saving the world like most JRPGs. Sure. Um, and that one kind of sticks with me. And a lot of like there's... A lot of ones where the narrative might not be the strongest, but the world building right. was really impressive. So I've recently yep. been replaying um, Jack and Daxter, The Precursor Legacy, oh, okay. which yep. is like a PS2 title. Oh. Um, and yep. I adore the world building in that. It's it's really simple, yeah. but the way that the environment art 
sort of really sells this location, this world, yeah. is is really stunning, mm. and um, it's pretty rare that you get that in a game nowadays to that level. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of some other ones. I, I'm a huge fan of the Dragon Age mythos as well. Yep. Um, and uh, that kind of a game where they tried to take fantasy and like twist it on its head a little bit. Yep. Um, I always find really really interesting. Yeah. And and now. Uh, being friends with a lot of the writers behind it, hearing a lot of the stories of how that came to be has been really, yeah. really fascinating as well. Which is a weird thing about working in games is like yeah. you grow up with all these video games that yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, this is cool. I grew up playing this. And then suddenly you are friends with all the people who made them. Yeah. Uh, very disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. And so I, coming to, from there, it's good that you mentioned Dragon Age. I think about a game that kind of probably the first game where I stood up and felt like other than my overwrought um, RPGs, which I still love, uh, <laughs> would be um, Knights of the Old Republic, so Star Wars, Knights of the right. Old Republic. And the reason that it sticks with me is the way the narrative works. Yep. So um, I'd never played a game. My, my brother actually bought it for me. I'd, I'd come home from um, from college and he said, oh, you know, I bought you this game. I'm like, huh? Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but somehow that had flown under my radar. I'm like, all right. So I popped it in. And from the moment it kind of began, um, I still remember, and I have a friend and I who it's a meme for us, is that, you know, you're on this, uh, this spaceship, you don't know who you are, and uh, it's being attacked. And they're like, oh, we need to look after this lady, Bastila. And, and I remember this as line that says, you swore an oath to protect her. Well, oath or no oath, I'm heading to those escape pods. And I, remember, I was like, oh! <laughs> and suddenly okay, I'm I was like, using that in everyday life. Oath or no oath, I'm heading yeah. to the escape pods. Yeah, yeah, what no. a great line. <laughs> great name, believe me. Works, works for us every time. But um, uh, escape pods aside, I realized I suddenly had this choice. And I hadn't played a game, and maybe I've just been living under a rock. I hadn't played a game with such overt choice between good and evil. And I right. loved the way the story played out from there. Had an amazing twist in it, which I didn't see coming though you might say it was fairly obvious. Um, and then, you know, just the, the fact that you had a moment as well where you had to choose, were you going to be good or were you going to be evil? And it was pretty, like, brutal if you decided to be evil. Mm-hmm. You were going to slaughter some people. Um, so I absolutely loved that game. And for me, that's probably the first game that I played where I was like, okay, this is different. Did you did you play Code or 2? I did. Um, Code or 2 was good. Um, well, because that was all about the exploration of Shades of Grey, right? Yes, yes. And I loved the way that the characters kind of moved with you in that as yeah. well. So it changed so that as you became more good and evil, because um, in the first one, your characters were either wholly good or wholly evil, yep. and then it kind of changed in, in KOTOR 2. Um, it, it felt a little bit like a... Um, what's the word for it? Like Almost like a really massive epilogue for me, because you kind of come yep. in and everything just kind of happens. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the bad guy in that as well. Um Yes, I loved the Shades of Grey as well and the way that you could kind of move through it. And it kind of, that opened the way down the line in my mind so that when I approached um, Mass Effect, right. I was really ready for that yep. next step and I loved that. I um, wonder if that mm. also um, affects the replay value of the game. Because mm. um, I, uh, a few years ago, got into this game uh, on, I think it's on iPad and, uh, you know, it's one of those yep. um, iTunes mobile games that's a clear Zelda ripoff, but it's still like very <laughs> enjoyable. I'm not going to lie it's called Zenonia right um and uh there are like at least four iterations last time I checked but the first one um did very much that same thing of you play you've got this one character you can choose four different types for him you know weapons and everything yeah um but you he's his journey is tied to the narrative throughout the game and you can choose he basically starts off at like zero percent neutral yeah and the decisions that you make at different points throughout the game affect if you go in the good direction or the evil direction yeah and i'm one of those people who even in a game i just don't like to make the evil choices <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm exactly yeah, the same yeah, yeah, yeah. i just have the guilt yeah yeah yep. so i had a, so i was obviously going for like the good version and i played i think most of the game up to good and then i started playing again uh with i think i'd been playing shooter and i decided to play paladin and i was like if i'm playing again from the start i should probably make some evil decisions yeah, yeah. so i started playing evil and it just felt so wrong uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but i think it does affect the um because uh the directions the game went in like i don't think it deviated yeah. too much according to the choices you made like it wasn't like there was a whole second game hidden in a different narrative but mm. it did affect like when you went to certain places at certain points in the narrative so yep. i think it the idea was that you could get at least two or three plays out of it depending yes. on which choices you were making yeah i think and that's kind of the goal behind a lot of rpgs yeah. and yeah uh, have, <laughs> having worked on a lot of rpg stories you know that kind of branching narrative is really hard yeah. to do and that's oh, why yeah. Yeah. it's you know we talk a lot about bottlenecking yeah and yeah. the yeah. idea that you know we need to bring the player back to a central point so that we're not constantly just branching out into a thousand possibilities yeah um and one 
really great tool is the changing of context. Mm. Yeah. So um, in a game like that, it's more about like, okay, how can we change the context of what the player is doing so like the actions are the same, but the mm. reasons why the player is taking those actions uh, gains additional color yeah. and yeah. context, and, uh, and which is yeah, its own challenge. But I, I also love games like that, and yeah. I have a very, I had a very similar experience with Mass Effect Two, yeah. oh, um, right. which I have, <laughs> so good. One of one yeah. of my top five games. Mm. Uh, it was just such a smoothly structured piece yeah. of, of writing, and. Uh, I played through extremely good the first time and I came back a second time and I was like, I'm totally just going to be an, a badass <laughs> yeah. asshole. Uh, I'm going to save the universe and I'm just going to be this like complete dick. Yeah. Um, I think it, I lasted like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, <laughs> and I felt so, so bad. Yeah. Oh God. It was, it was awful. I think I even tried it in Mass Effect 3, like the, yeah. the, the, the final, the finale of the yeah. trilogy, and mm. and couldn't. I just, I absolutely couldn't. This may be my memory warping things, but I also feel like even the game didn't truly want me to be evil because it kept <laughs> like giving me choices and like putting in these slightly passive aggressive little things. Like, are you sure you want to make that decision? And <laughs> yeah. like, you know, when I was at like forty percent evil and then forty five percent evil, it just kept being like, now you know you're getting awfully close to that fifty percent tipping mark. You can't go back after that. Yeah. And I was like, stop it. This is already so hard for me. This this is my fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I mean, I did break bad in uh, KOTOR and the moment in Knights of the Republic where I, where I did that was you had this Romeo and Juliet style story you, and I was doing the right thing. I was bringing the families together and then there was this moment where it was just like you had the families together at this bridge and then you could just lie and say you made up all these lies and they just slaughter each other oh. and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that and that was it. Like, yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah. over. I was yeah. fully dark side for that moment and like, I just kind of half-assed it. So the next time we went fully dark. And some of the things are really cruel. Like you tell someone, you meet someone's child you go looking for, you murder them. You go back and tell them, oh, they're off wandering in the desert and I couldn't find them. And I was like, I'm heartbroken. And you're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> you're like, oh, well, dark side points. I need more of them. And How so, heartbroken are you? Can yeah. I drink your tears for points? <laughs> wow. Okay, so you could do that. Delicious. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, I love it when you get a game which kind of puts those choices to you and, and makes them... Them, I guess it makes you but I also find um, and so just thinking about that let's, let's talk a little bit about this narrative branching piece um, have, have you worked have you worked a lot in narrative branching yourself Liam or yes. is there okay so yeah, what I've written a lot of dialogue like branching dialogue and branching plots right so I've tried to do like I did about five minutes of choose your own adventure once so try. sorry <laughs> oh my I had no idea yeah yeah, yeah. I, like, I dived That's... in I was like this is going to be amazing and like it was, it was probably about half an hour I was like holy mother of pearl how do I even deal with all these options and I had new respect for that series it's it is a whole different skill set and I think that a lot of yeah. uh fiction writers who are used to writing not linear narrative but yeah. but narrative that is one string yes um have this assumption that branching narrative isn't that far away yeah. and then as soon as you try to do it suddenly it's like oh I have to think in three places at once. Yeah. And then I have to keep a hundred variables in my head as I go. Yeah. It, it becomes this whole other experience. Yeah. It's really different. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a difficult thing. How do you, in, in doing that kind of a narrative, how do you run a thread through that, that feels cohesive? Like that actually can keep uh, the player coming back and doesn't, doesn't jolt them, I guess, as you go. Uh, practice. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but also, uh, also, uh, like revision and yeah. and note taking right honestly uh i tend to take a lot of notes and yeah. also there is generally in that process again everyone does it differently the way yeah. that i tend to structure uh these narratives is is, is i will write the overarching narrative yeah. of what the story is because there still has to be one yes and then i will go in and i will add the complications that uh, where situations arise where you can have different options. Yeah. Um, so you need to make sure that that backbone is really strong. Yeah. And that's kind of where I start. Right. But I also know a lot of a lot of uh, people, even when it comes down to like the the really small scale of just dialogue. Yeah. I I will structure a dialogue and then yeah. I will write the dialogue. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I will test it and its structure before I've even written any of it. Yeah. Um. But I know lots of people who just kind of dive into it and then it just grows organically. And I think this is very different, yeah. uh, very similar, sorry, to people who outline versus people who just yeah. like go in and, and yep. yeah. do it. Uh, I know people who have 
branching narrative ingrained and the rules of branching narrative ingrained in them so well yeah. that they can just do that. Okay. I am not that person. <laughs> uh, I have to yeah. meticulously control my structure or I will just yeah. blow through the word count. And particularly in 2019, where so much of what we do is written for VO, yeah. um, which yep. is a, a whole other thing. Mm. Um, we have to stick to really, really strict word counts yeah, um, right. and line counts yep. uh, because it's money. Yeah. Um, yep. And, uh, it's been a really, really interesting experience to transition from writing for text and to be read yep. and then writing for VO to be performed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Suddenly the way, even down to the way you write, the, yep. the kind of phrasing, the, I have to read everything aloud as I write it to make yep. sure that it doesn't sound weird. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. And you, I've, I know a lot of people who do table reads for games now. Yep. Um, it's yeah. It's it, that part of it has even changed a lot in the past 15 years it's it's interesting for me because i remember i'll come back to final fantasy i remember going from um nine to ten and ten was the first fully voiced um or you know pretty much everything was voiced there yep. were that npcs who weren't voiced and i remember it was a very strange transition for me because sometimes the the voiceover doesn't quite work from japanese to english oh totally <laughs> oh, the, the voice acting translations yeah and the, and the voice acting is just a little bit a little bit too maybe yeah. and it was OTT. also very early in voice yeah. acting oh, like voice yeah. acting as an industry so yeah still still my favorite um uh final fantasy story i've kind of landed on that over the years and the reason for it being there's something that happens in that story which couldn't happen otherwise. so major spoilers and it's that whistling is this moment in the game where the the protagonist is teaching uh the female protagonist um one of the female protagonists to whistle and says you know if you whistle i'll come for you and at the end of the game um after he is discovered that he's you know he's essentially dead she's standing on it, it kind of fades to black after the oh, credits titus and- yeah yeah Titus and yeah. fades to back after the credits and all you hear is whistling and then it comes up on her standing on the end of, of a pier whistling and I was like oh it turns out he didn't even exist oh my Aww. god I was just like I remember coming back to that and this was you know like a year ago when I finished it and I was like whoo is it like I, I it really affected me I don't know why I was quite kind of in, into the story and that whole story but that works because we'd moved from text yeah. to voiceover there was yeah. something which had changed which would ne- they would never have been able to achieve that effect I think being able to bring more theater into right. video games uh, is really interesting. So yep. one of the other really interesting things that I've learned over the past decade or so is so many of my fellow writers and narrative designers are actually from theatre. Really? Interesting. There is something about theatre that is much yep. more similar to writing games than movies. That's interesting. Okay. So big. if you... Th- Bear with me for a second. Yeah, no, you go um, so if you if you think about writing for video games as writing for theatre, where the audience is both actor and audience, right? Um, it is exactly the same. So right. you are you are writing a script for an actor, yeah, um, where they have the ability to perform yep. within the structure that you're giving them. Yeah, and yeah. so you can be as as uh, tightly confined or as broad as you would like in your writing of that script, but yeah. ultimately the player is both an actor and a performer. Um, and so that's a really interesting way of looking at video yeah. games, yeah. but it also like so many theatrical skills have begun to filter through, particularly mm. now in the age of VR, yeah. where um, stagecraft yes. has suddenly become really, really important in the way that we do environment art and we present yeah. scenes. Right. Um, yep. And so, yeah, sorry, this is a, a really a pet interest of mine because no, I come from a theatrical background. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it is really really interesting to look at how theatre has influenced games over the yeah. past decade. And VO, I think, is one of those really really important ones where the introduction of performance yep. into narrative has yeah. irrevocably changed how we uh, perceive and play in these spaces. It's yeah, it's just fascinating. I mean, it's it's been we've come a long way, and I think for me, I was thinking about when uh, CD Projekt Red, you know, brought out Keanu Reeves in this right. thing. Like, <laughs> just thinking of that when I was playing Wolfenstein 3D on the computer, the, the, how far we've come to that point where he kind of appears, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's Keanu Reeves in a game. Didn't and to me, I'm like, okay, this is happening, and like that, I guess that distance that we've come from there. Do you think that that's been a gradual process for people like from theatre moving into... Because, like, theatre is, you know, it's, it's its own kind of... It's a very... I mean, I think of it as being very niche. I love the theatre. But at the same time, you know, there's only... I guess there's only so much you could do in theatre. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that's affected people going into games and then discovering they really enjoy it? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because theatre 
wasn't niche. Theater was mainstream. Yeah, that's and, right. And it has yep. become very niche, whereas video games have kind of done the opposite. Yeah. True. Um, so video games went from being extremely niche to now being mainstream, where Keanu yep. Reeves is introducing, you know, <laughs> CD Projekt's new game, Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. Like, that's... That is a really incredible move to make. Yeah. Um, the mainstreaming of video games just means that, yeah, we are going to get celebrities. We are going to get mm. stunt casting. We are yep. going to have all these things that uh, we're not, we're used to in cinema and yep. uh, Broadway uh, coming into games. Yeah. Um, now, there was one other game in particular, thinking about innovation, that we, we mentioned pre-show. And, uh, Diane, <laughs> I know that you've... And, and look, uh, Tiff, my wife, she loves... The Sims. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell me, uh, Diane, do you, you've, you've played that a bit over the years? I have. Um, it's another one that's been through at least four iterations. Yep. And uh, yep. <laughs> I was playing Sims 1 back in the day mm-hmm. when it Ooh. wasn't even called Sims 1 because there weren't any sequels. Um, <laughs> the and, Sims. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Sims. Um, and, of course, you look back on the graphics now and they're very dated. But, mm. I mean, at the time it was, it was very innovative. And... Um, it's really interesting to look at how that has changed uh, as a game, but also as a storytelling yeah. um, method over uh, or platform over the years. Um, and it is—it's a really interesting one too because it is—it's one of those games that is very addictive. You uh, can go months without even thinking about it, and then you suddenly want to play it, and you're mm-hmm. just obsessed with it for three weeks. Yes, um, there's no <laughs> real in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's true. I and I think there have been whole studies done on how it taps into particular areas of the brain where it's about um, meeting small achievable goals and the burst of satisfaction that you get from that pushes you forward which I think is also why once you reach a certain point where you've kind of achieved everything you can all the motivation goes Mm. Um, but uh, you were mentioning Liam that um, I'm not sure if it was a specific version or all versions it has some really interesting examples of that yeah I think that The Sims is such an interesting thing to talk about when we talk about narrative in video games because Mm. it's essentially a story creation engine Um, so uh, as the player, I'm inputting certain variables yep. and then the game is playing those out. And so I get to mm. watch a story being created yeah. that I've participated in but don't wholly control. Yeah. Um, and then I can influence that story in certain ways and those, these characters that I've created in certain ways. Mm. Um, so much of contemporary video game design is prefaced on that idea, particularly multiplayer. Mm. So I think that... Uh, the Massive success of games like Daisy and Fortnite, which is yep. the biggest game in the world right now, <laughs> yep. um, is predicated on the idea that um, we are creating stories together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Fortnite's success, so much of what makes Fortnite successful, apart from the fact that it's just very well made, yeah. um, is the stories that players tell about yes. their experiences in yep. the game. And so so much of the game design is set up to create these situations, these absurd, ridiculous situations that are remarkable in the true sense of the word because, you know, remarking on something is how we sell things. So um, I think The Sims is a really great example of that where uh, you have limited control in a situation and then there's this element of randomness that that comes in and and creates these remarkable situations that we then Mm. talk about. And still, and I mean, uh, with expansion packs, you have more variables, yes. variables being introduced, which is why people get so interested in the expansion yep. packs too, because just as you're sort of exhausting all the possibilities of one mm. version of the game, suddenly you have like this whole new world to explore or new activities um, with new consequences. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting to talk to other people who've played The Sims and you can tell a lot about someone from the type of player they are yes. because some yeah. people just <laughs> live to destroy. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, yeah. like the people who put... Sims in the pool and then yeah, remove the ladder. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that was how you killed your Sims. Like everyone did it at least once. <laughs> Set fire to a room. Yeah, with no yep, doors. Set them on fire. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, see, just see Barbecue how many. the baby. Yeah, like, oh. can you kill the kids? <laughs> and then you'd find out that the game wouldn't let you kill kids, and you'd be like, mm, all right, <laughs> um, fine. <laughs> or like people who you know create rooms without doors and yeah. just like get their Sim to like die among piles of Absolutely. their own waste. People, like, Dan. Yeah. Yes. So, yep. But the funny thing is, I. <laughs> get these anecdotes from other people and I'm appalled because I was the person who went the other way yeah, and lived yeah. absurdly happy lives. My sins yeah. were all so well adjusted. They reached oh, the tops of their careers. Perfect. So yeah, yeah, they had like yeah. three children and lived in mansions and had gorgeous manicured gardens. Uh. Um, <laughs> I just wanted them to be happy. Like it was very much a case of this is a world I can control. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I- 
I mean, we did, we use this because when I worked for, for World Vision, we go around and do um, youth conferences and we, we wanted to introduce to people the concept of like uh, uh, institutional violence and poverty. So mm-hmm. it's extreme poverty. Yeah. So very heavy subject. But how we led into it um, was actually really interesting. It was a session called What's the Worst Thing You've Ever Done? And uh, it was based <laughs> off a Reddit thread about the oh, worst thing we've ever done, done in The Sims. Sims. Yeah, and this one particular story was kind of like the highlight that the MC would end on. And it's about a guy who trapped his Sim down in the basement, gave him enough food, and had a family live above the person. Oh, yes. And they had this ability to create amazing works of art, which would then be sold. The to, art goblin. That's it, yes, <laughs> to fund the family above it. And it was this incredible story. And it's just like, how does someone... Th- and so this was about the worst thing we've ever yeah. done in The Sims. And occasionally these threads come up on Reddit. They are great. And that just was like... And then you're like, oh, my God, it's capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. And, like, and here we go. This is how it starts. Exactly, right? <laughs> and so it was a pretty handy example to kind of lead off on. But fascinating that people actually come up with these ideas in that kind of sandbox environments. The, uh, the psychology of playing The Sims is just fascinating oh yeah. to me. And just yeah. um, how often, like, you will meet the nicest people who have done the most horrible things to their Sims. And it's like, are you a nice person because you're channeling this dark side of yourself yeah. into The Sims? Yeah. Like, this is where you get rid <laughs> of all the, like, homicidal urges. Yeah. Like, yeah. you've just got to send oh. it somewhere. And because you've, like, kept it to this one contained outlet, you're a lovely person everywhere yeah. else. Uh, <laughs> Which makes me a bit worried about the fact that I wasn't that kind of player. Like, where, where's, where am I channeling my homicide lurgers? Who knows? Totally. Podcasts, surely. <laughs> yeah. Ian's like concerned. Um, I, just thinking about The Sims as well, it's kind of a good, a good lead into another little aspect of gaming. Not a little aspect, but one that's kind of, uh, I find interesting, and that's the idea of romance in gaming. Aha. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. Please, I adore video game <laughs> romance. It's one of my like primary areas of study. So go on. So I'll just say, you know, coming back from again, Princess Peach and Mario. Was that a love story? Uh, <laughs> I always like to think, I think Mario that thought it was. <laughs> Mario <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mario was. was totally into it. She's like, <laughs> I think Bowser and Peach were definitely had something going on. Yeah, that's that's true. I hear that. Um, yeah. So, so we didn't see what happened after the cameras went off. She's like, all right, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this is over. Um, so, okay, so you've, you've obviously looked into and, and been involved in yeah. some interesting romance stories and writing. Um, and for me, I, I think back to probably the one example I used where it was, it was interesting for me was um, Mass Effect, yep. which had uh, romances which kind of spanned, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty much it was any character that was in your party you could have a romance they, with, right? They were a selection of them. I think about a quarter of them you could romance and have these like long extended arcs. Right, which was pretty pretty interesting for me. I was like, okay, this is different from what I kind of um, experienced in the past. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts about, I mean, I, how broad can I go here? Right, yeah, well, totally. Um, so... Some of the first video game romances that I remember and are relevant to me is they were in Baldur's Gate 2, oddly enough. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so Baldur's Gate 2 uh, was the iteration of Baldur's Gate 1 and people really loved the characters in Baldur's Gate. Yep. And so Bioware were like, hey, what can we do to make this more interesting? People really love this part, but we didn't invest a lot of time in. Yep. So what happens if we do invest a little bit more time? And it turned out people loved it. Right. Um, and what we've kind of realized since then uh, is that uh, there are a large group of players who are, their engagement comes through characters. Right. Mm. It's just like the people who prefer plot, who are yeah. stupid, um, and then people who <laughs> love character, uh, who are great. I wonder which side you I wonder. To, <laughs> um, no, but, uh, so romance and relationships in games are a massive way to engage players. Yes. Well, and to get them to care. Yeah, yeah. Actions and consequences. And there are, there are a cipher through which we can view the game world and care about yeah. the game's issues. So if we care about the characters, we care about what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so I fell in love with the romances of Baldur's Gate 2, and so I used to mod my own romances and write my own romances right. in the game. And then when I worked at Beamdog, I did like kind of bully my way onto the, the writing <laughs> team so that I could write yeah. the romances because yeah. uh, I was so obsessed with them. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, it's such a fascinating study in uh, just characters, mm. especially when um, it's more about how do you create an experience for the player yep. um, while also giving a character some sense of agency? Right. Um, yep. Because you don't want it to just be like, let me click every nice option yep. and that gets me the sex. Yeah. Um, which is an issue that we often encounter with video games in general, which yep. is, you know, if you put gifts in the box, then sex comes out at the end of it, which is a really terrible thing yeah, to right. be teaching yeah. players yeah. Yeah. and young people as they grow up, right? That's true. So 
uh, I think a commonly uh, brought up point is Dragon Age 2, where you can actually, like, it's all points-based. Yeah. And then if you give your romance interest gifts, it increases your, like, romance rating. And right. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like, so not ideal. Yeah. Um, but romance in general is, is just super interesting. I think it is an engagement exercise. It's a way to get people to care about characters yeah. way more than they otherwise would. Mm. Uh, in Dragon Age Inquisition, romance is all people talk about. Yep. Um, you know, Bioware is famous for its romances and a lot of them are written uh, and directed by David Gator, who is their lead writer. And yeah, um, yeah it, so much of that is just nobody remembers what you did in Inquisition, yeah. Yeah. but they remember who you traveled with yeah. and they remembered, you know, this incredible fiery romance you had with Dorian or Iron Bull or any of the <laughs> other characters. Yeah. Um, so f- for me as a writer, that's what interests me is how do we engage players in a romantic sense? Right. Like how do we create characters that, um, are genuinely interesting enough for a player to actually want to investigate deeper mm. um, and and genuinely fall for. Yeah, right. Um, which is, yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I think that it comes from... I, the love stories that I remember uh, seeing were... So Final Fantasy VII and VIII both have a love story. Um, VII was... Eh, eight was primarily built around a love yep. story, which was quite actually really interesting and nuanced, but you didn't get to choose. You just... No. You watched it on. Un- un- it was just a part stuff. of the story that unfolded, right? Exactly. Which Mostly is... in cinematics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many cinematics and long. Beautiful cinematics. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. But, you know, seeing it. And again, it, it's the same in 10 uh, that you saw that, that romance kind of happening on screen and, and thankfully didn't have a, uh, a happy ending, which is very important for me personally when it comes to stories, is they don't always have to have a happy ending. Yes. And I think that's really key. Um, but uh, romance it, as a genre, interestingly, they yeah. do have to have a happy ending. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, when it's, following it's, that formula. Yeah. Yeah, it's like true. when you when it's one of the the trust things yeah. is you know if you're entering into a romance story, yeah, you are entering into a relationship, and part of that relationship is that you 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 will give the reader a happy ending. There's expectation and follow through, and if people don't get that follow and through, we it's, break yeah. that all the time in games. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's it, like I've been having this conversation recently with people as, because as romance as a genre is becoming yeah. more and more popular. I mean, it's one of the one of the most, if the most, not the most popular genre, I think, in literature. That's right? huge. Yeah. And uh, it certainly makes the most money. Yeah. Yes. And so we should, as, as, as media creators, we should all be looking at romance and being yeah, like, well, yeah. what are they doing right? Because yeah. they're rolling in it. They're doing incredibly well. Even yep. bad stuff sells better than most of our good yeah. stuff. So, yep. you know, what can we learn from this? Um, Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's super interesting. It's it, that emotional engagement. Yeah. It really yeah, yeah. is. Like, as you were saying before, characters in general, if as a reader, as a listener, as a player, I engage with characters and that's what pulls mm. me through a narrative. Yeah. And so romance is kind of the, like, it's a logical step to take if you want to explore relationships in a variety of ways because yeah. there are so many different types of relationships. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have, like, live vicariously through Totally. Through well, a like, romance. as, 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 <laughs> a gay guy <laughs> I have never been in a relationship with a woman yeah yep and so video games is one way that I get to explore what that might be like yep. and I get to live in a very different viewpoint and see a very different viewpoint than my own and explore that in a way that yeah I totally wouldn't be able to do otherwise mm. in a really lived way yep because it's not just a static text that I'm reading I am the character or yeah, at least right. I have a really strong connection to the character mm. that mm. I play out yeah I, it's it's interesting as well, and we're we're almost out of time. But I do want to um, to jump to something in terms of romance becoming, uh, you know, having a, a, a bigger place and more nuanced. Um, I do I would say as well. Think about breaking romances. I come back to um, uh, La La Land, which we right, rewatched yeah. recently, and I love that. I, and uh, also that. And see, see, why is it almost these tragic things? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm just that really and, like Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Kat, oh, no, yeah. no, is it Ryan Reynolds? No, who is it in La La Land? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. That's Ryan Gosling. That's right. Clearly, but I, I remember Ryan's. that. I enjoyed that, and also. Uh, Captain America was one for me, uh, the original Captain America. Oh, just Chris Evans. Oh, Chris Evans, yeah. Well, yeah. especially my wife's like, we're seeing Captain uh, anything with Chris Evans. She's right there. I'm like, sure, he's a great guy. I like him. Uh, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the way that Captain America ended yes. because it wasn't happy ending. So why'd they have to bring him back? Anyway, moving on. Uh, in terms of audiences coming into gaming and thinking about uh, nuanced romance or whatever, the, you know, the stereotypical gamer is uh, a dude 
who's you know maybe not quite up on the personal hygiene sitting in front of a screen like that is the stereotype sure. of a gamer um what do you think that is not reflected in the actual yeah. exactly uh, stats, right yeah. right yeah so what do you think do, do you think that that move in terms of romance and nuance does that reflect the changing face of, of games or oh it, absolutely yeah like uh the fastest growing segment of australian gamers is men and women over the age of 65 Right. Uh, and I did not know that. Uh, uh, I think romance games are yeah. becoming their own extremely popular yeah. and lucrative genre. Um, Choices is a fantastic example. High School Story, all these mobile yeah. games yeah. from a, a casual audience, which is mostly women in their 40s. Yep. Um, just loving video games and having a great time and paying so much money for it, yeah. which is really scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never been able to get into like... Uh, just me personally, like in terms of narrative games that you just make a choice and kind of the whole narrative is playing out. Yeah. I, I haven't really been able to get into it myself, but I appreciate that seeing games change before my eyes. I mean, I, I'm time poor, you know, have a, have a baby now. And even before that, I found I wasn't playing as much as I used to. You know, I, um, I appreciate the casualness of being able to drop into yep. a story, though, kind of pick it up and go. And it changes the way that, that stories are told because yep. it's, it's pick up, put down, pick up, put down, yep. you know. But also like really short experiences. So one of my most... One of my favorite recent experiences is a game, an Australian-made game called Florence. Yep. Uh, Florence is about a half-hour experience. Yep. It's a premium game on the App Store. Yep. Uh, and it has no text. Yep. And it is a love story. Okay. Um, and it's not aimed at your traditional gamer. It's just a really amazing short-form story where you get to experience something really different. Yeah. Right. Boy, I, I just think that, that we'll see more and more of this, and I hope that we've managed to cover some innovation. There are so many more uh, games and things I'd love to talk about, but we are out of time, <laughs> unfortunately for us all. It is a topic you could talk about forever because yeah. games is at the forefront of so much of this innovation. We're going we're gonna to have to do part two, I know it. Um, but thank you so much, Liam, for joining us today. Of any time. Um, so if people are looking for you, what have you got coming up or where can people find you online? Uh, I cannot talk about what I've got coming up, which is really frustrating. <laughs> But um, you can find me at L-I-A-M-E-S-L-E-R on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to follow me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the next one of the, one of the next things I'll be at, I'll be at PAX West. I'll be at uh, New Zealand Game Developers Conference later this year. And I'll probably be at Game Connect Edge Pacific, uh, which are all game dev conferences. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Diane, where can people find you? Things coming up? Um, I don't have any exciting mystery projects coming up, so that was a hard act to follow. <laughs> um, I don't have anything in the uh, time between the next podcast, I think. So, um, But you can find me on Fifi Fail, my Twitter, which I still haven't changed. That's yet. great. It's, it's still working for you, Diane, so you go I'm with it. I'm just owning it now. No, that's good. Um, and you can find me at ihlacking or ihlacking.com. Uh, I'm mostly just uh, raising Joel, our regular host, <laughs> while he's over uh, in Greenland, but soon to move on to uh, the UK and Europe. So Island he's... next, is it? Hey? I think it's an island. Island next. next. Yeah. yeah, he's having a hard time. So <laughs> Sounds out... real rough. Joel. Yeah, shout out to Joel. Uh, enjoy your next writing residency, Joel. Uh, <laughs> we really appreciate you joining us. We hope you've found this uh, refreshing. I know I definitely have uh, talking about uh, gaming and, and so much in innovation. So thank you, Liam, for joining us. Anytime. We'll see you folks next time. <laughs>